You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week number three in our series. We're talking about Daniel and a spirit of excellence. Is there anybody in the room this morning that has a spirit of excellence? I know you all do, and so I am uh, just, again, uh, just believing that what that will do for you will set you apart. And so let's just jump right on into this. I want to hit a few high points that we've covered in the previous weeks. And so here's some things that uh, we want to just look at. Here we go. Look at this. God created each of us for success. So say this after me. After me. Say, I am, I am created, created for success. You know, God doesn't make failures. Now, we mess up and we fail, but that's not God's ultimate plan for us. Thank God for his mercy and his grace and, of course, the blood of Jesus. But God plans for us to be successful at whatever uh, the Scripture actually says in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, that whatever we set our hands to, he will cause it to prosper and be successful. So you were created for success. And then each of us were made for more. Say that. Say, I am, I am. made for more. You know, and, and what that tells me is, is you will never be able to exhaust the fullness of God in the sense of he is so big, so majestic, so great that, that I believe throughout eternity, you and I will never reach the end of his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, and uh, all that he desires to do in our lives and so you might feel like you have arrived, but I promise you there's more that God has for you. And so I just believe that for each and every one of us. So let's get into our foundation scripture. You'll see that on your notes in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. And this is where we're taking this series from. It says, then this Daniel, talking about this young man who was carried away in captivity to Babylon... Uh, that he distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Again, that's an old English word for leaders and uh, rulers in the nation. Because, and here's what set him apart, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, what's good about us in the new covenant with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, we have a spirit of excellence on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit is an excellent spirit. Did you know that? And so he lives and dwells on the inside of us. And so here's what you allowing an excellent spirit will do in you and for you. It will cause you to, to be promoted. Every time, not only in the book of Daniel, but we see several characters in the Bible, people in the Bible, that, that when they operated in the spirit of excellence, that God always promoted them. You know, I'm reminded of Joseph, how through all the, the bad things that he experienced in his life, he remained faithful to the Lord. He did not allow his uh, heart to get bitter towards those who had meant harm to him. And so, uh, he maintained that excellent spirit. And I love the fact, you know, if you're familiar with Joseph's story, even while he was a slave in Egypt serving in Potiphar's house, the Bible says God was with him and God brought promotion. And then, you know, he was falsely accused of rape. And so then he got thrown into prison. And the Bible says the hand of the Lord was with him in prison. And God even promoted him in prison where the, the warden made him responsible. Now, here's a prisoner who's put, been put in charge of all the other prisoners. I think that's favor. And so then, of course, you know that God's hand was on him. He interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh and got promoted to being second in command only under Pharaoh himself. But it all hinged on him letting an excellent spirit be manifest in his life by God moving in him and through him. 
And so the same thing is true with Daniel. Uh, you know, in the middle of being uh, led away in captivity, Daniel was a young man and loved God and lived for God. And so God raised him up and then promoted him because of this excellent spirit. And so what I want you to see is us, we believers, under a new and better covenant, if God did that for people under the old covenant, how much more does he want to do it for people in the new covenant? So you and I can look for when we allow a spirit of excellence to be manifested in our lives, we can see promotion showing up. We'll talk more about that. So let's define what is excellence, okay? So excellence is consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. So when we're people of excellence, and of course with God's help, we walk in these things, but it causes us to be consistent in good character. You know, if there's anything that people outside of the body of Christ ought to be able to say about Christians is that we're consistent in character. Now, I know that's not always true, but I know that's true of the people here in Spring Hill Church. And so you guys are consistent in good character. You, you have good attitudes you're excellent in quality, and you live by God's standards. And that's what people of excellence do. So in our previous weeks, we've talked about what, is, what does an excellent spirit look like? How does it manifest in our lives? Well, here's the first thing that we talked about, and that is this. A spirit of excellence is found in our identity. Now, what does that mean? We know, when we know who we are in Christ, not in who we are as people per se, but who we are as, as believers in Christ. You know, I, I, I dare you to do a study in the New Testament and find the references where it says you are in him, in Christ, through him, etc., and find out who you are in Christ, and so a spirit of excellence is an outworking of us knowing who we are. See, Daniel was a man of excellence. He had an excellent spirit about him because he knew who he was as a child of God and as a, as a Hebrew at the time, but he knew who he was and he knew who his God was. And so he was able to function in that knowledge and so, again, the same thing is true for us. So a spirit of excellence is found in our identity. And then next, we said this, a spirit of excellence does not compromise, does not compromise. So you and I are going to have opportunities, especially in the world that we're living in today, to compromise on what we believe and our standards that are set for us in the Word of God. And so, you know, I told you, that I learned this a long time ago, that whatever you compromise to keep, you will ultimately lose. So if you are, you know, challenged, let's say at work, and they kind of put a little pressure on you to compromise your standards at work, I promise you, if you make that decision and you choose to do that, that whatever you're compromising to keep, you will ultimately lose. And so you don't want to do that. So what is the opposite of compromise? Well, the opposite of compromise, we said, is conviction. Conviction. What does that mean? That when you find out what God's Word says, you get that down in your heart and you let it stay in your heart and you let it guide your life. So there are certain things that we don't do as believers because of the convictions of what God's Word places in our hearts. And so those convictions are what guide us and what lead us, okay? Now, we also said this, a person of excellence or a person with the spirit of excellence is not concerned with what other people think about you. Now, you know, I'm not saying we're mean and disrespectful and all those types of things, but when it comes right down to it, we cannot be concerned with what other people think about us. The most important opinion about you is what God thinks about you. And that's what we have to base our, our lives on and our convictions on. So that's the end of our review. Hope you got all that. If you missed anything, it's in the previous weeks and you can go check it out 
online. So let's look at what another aspect of a spirit of excellence is. And so that is this. Write this down, please. A spirit of excellence is a spirit of humility. Humility. Everybody say humility. <clears throat> now, I would venture to say, and as I was studying and preparing this, I think a lot of believers misunderstand what humility is. Uh, and I'll say this, I didn't include it in your notes, but I'll just go ahead and say it now. Humility is not weakness. That thrilled you, I could tell. Let me say it one more time. <laughs> humility is not weakness. And I'm going to say something else. Meekness is not weakness. Okay, so we'll talk more about meekness later. But what I want you to see is a spirit of humility goes hand in hand with a spirit of excellence. So let's look at a couple of scriptures and uh, begin this, this exploration of this. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, I'm going to read it first from the New King James Version, and it says this, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. So and he's, Paul is writing this epistle to believers. So he's telling believers, I'm saying this to everybody, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So here's where our misconception of humility begins, and that is this. A lot of people focusing on that phrase in there where it says, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. He did not say, don't think highly of yourself. He just said, don't think highly, more highly than you ought to think. See, what happens is when we hear the word humility, we go in the ditch on the other side of the road in the sense of we, we equate self-debasing uh, ourselves with humility, and it is not the same thing. So we are to think highly of ourselves, but in a way that God thinks highly of us, okay? And so that's the way we're supposed to think. So let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. It, it defines it a little better. So Paul said this, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. We could make that a mic drop moment and dismiss and go home. And if we just did that little phrase, we would have accomplished a lot. So I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. So let God set the standard of measurement for your self-worth. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Now, God is, is in favor of us having a healthy self-esteem based on how he sees us, okay? Now, you hear in the world, you know, that... Uh, you know, you need to have a healthy, you need to have a high self-esteem. You need to think, uh, you know, about yourself with a right self-esteem. Well, their thought of what's right is a little bit different than God's. So we're going to look at this. And so uh, what happens, though, in the process of this, people begin to get elevated. And so write this down, please, that God said this, he will not share his glory with another. You need to understand that. Now, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. Neither will he tolerate us polluting his name through a false sense of humility. See, there are, let me say it to you this way. There are people, believers, that believe that if I stand up here and say, I am a new creation in Christ, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have the mind of Christ, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that there are, there are believers in the body of Christ that believe you shouldn't say things like that about yourself because that's pride. No, 
What you're doing is exactly what this phrase says, and you're trying to uh, pollute, if you will, God's image by maintaining a false humility. Oh, pastor, I would never say something like that. No, you, you need to be saying things like that. Because listen, I don't say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ to glorify me. I say that because of what Jesus did for me. In and of myself, I'm not righteous. But through Christ and what he did for me, I have been made righteous. Okay? Hallelujah. So, we need to think of ourselves soberly, yet rightly. And so, uh, the opposite of that is this. If you are taking credit for a God-given talent or ability, you're not being humble and you're going to limit what God is able to do through you. Okay? So we have to be mindful of those things. Similarly, on the other side, if you're constantly brushing aside God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his blessing in your life as coincidence or nothing special, you're also limiting what God can do in your life. You know, um, the thing that you have to understand is this. I am who I am because of what Jesus has done for me. Not because I am special in and of myself. You know, somebody said, well, you know, it's by my talent, my ability, my intelligence, my wisdom that I have gotten to where I am. Oh, really? Okay. Well, whose air are you breathing? You didn't create that. Who woke you up this morning? Okay. So, you know, you have to give credit to the Lord and to God for his goodness. So, Write this down, please. True humility, true biblical humility recognizes God, that he is the one that's responsible. He is the one that got me up this morning. You know, he's the one that provided oxygen for us to breathe. He's the one that created this planet that we live on. He's the one that has moved in our lives and shown himself strong on our behalf. So, what you need to understand is you cannot walk in excellence without humility. So, and this is a hard pill to swallow for those who believe they're where they are today because of their own self-sufficiency, okay? So what, you know, a lot of us have to do is we've got to realize and, and the part of humbling ourselves is realizing um, Yes, God gave me talents, God gave me abilities, God gives me strength, but it's all through him that I have accomplished what I accomplished. Are, are, you, are you seeing that? Okay, so true humility recognizes God. Write this down, please. Humility is being God-confident and it's being God-dependent. Humility is being God-confident and God-dependent, okay? You know, in the world, you'll hear phrase like self-dependency, okay? That's a very slippery slope for you to play around on as a believer because uh, <clears throat> true Bible humility says this, there is a God and you ain't him, and neither am I, <laughs> okay? So you have to walk in that. So self-confidence or self-sufficiency is pride. You want me to tell you what the key clue to that is? There's a four-letter word in there that keeps popping up, and it's called self, okay? Self is what constitutes pride. Independence from God is pride, and God does not promote pride. As a matter of fact, write this down, please. God hates pride and will resist it. Now, why does God hate pride? Well, he loves you, 
But he hates when you get caught up in pride. And here's why. Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs that pride goes before what? A fall, or another verse says, before destruction. God doesn't want you to fall, and he doesn't want you destroyed. So if pride is the pathway down to that, that's why God hates pride. Now, if you don't believe God will resist you if you get pride in your life, ask Lucifer. You ever heard of him? Okay. You might know him as the devil, all of his aliases, you know, Slewfoot, the devil, all those types of things. But listen, seriously, what got him in trouble and got him cast out of heaven was the fact he let pride come in and wanted to exalt and promote himself. And God said, nope, there's only going to be one, and that's me. So, and, and unfortunately, Lucifer had convinced a third of the angels to go with him, and so all of them, Lucifer in, and the third of the angels, ended up getting kicked out of heaven because of pride. Let's look at some scripture. Proverbs chapter 6 and verses 16 through 19 says this, these six things the Lord dislikes a little bit. These six things really get on God's nerves. No, he uses some strong language. These six things the Lord hates. So let's run through this list really quick. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Number one, notice what's first, a proud Look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, uh, feet that are swift in running to evil. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. And number seven, the, and one who sows discord among Brethren, Now, that's a big one right there. If you want to get in trouble with the Lord, start sowing discord among a family, whether it's your blood family or church family or whatever the family is or brethren, it, you want to avoid that. But let's look at the very first one that's on the top of the list that God hates, and that is this, a proud look. God hates pride because of what it does to you, not to him. Listen, Lucifer was no threat to the Lord, none, none whatsoever, but he had to deal with it, and it got him kicked out. So what God doesn't want you and me to experience is the negative results that come about because of pride, all right? Now, let's look at a New Testament scripture that says kind of the same thing. Let's look at James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Bible, and it says this, but God gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. And I didn't give you the full context, but James is addressing some issues that had come up in believers where they were looking to satisfy their own needs and desires through their own self-sufficiency. And what, what the Holy Ghost through James said this, God gives us more and more grace or power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That is why he said, and this is where James is quoting from the Old Testament where we just read it. He said, God sets himself against the proud and haughty. The old King James says that he resists the proud and sets it, well, this version says he sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually. Is there anybody here that's interested in getting some continual grace? I am. So here's what you do to qualify for this continual grace. He said that he gives grace continually to the lowly. And here's, he defines lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. Then he says in verse 7, so be subject to God. See, there's that, that doorway into humility, and that is this, when you realize you are not all that, and so I need to submit myself to God. 
Then he says, once you do that, then you can resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. See, a lot of us, uh, because we have not lowered ourselves and made ourselves subject to God, when we try and resist the devil, he laughs at us. But when you say, no, I submit myself to God, my life is in his hands, I humble myself before him, and therefore I am who he says that I am, I have the authority that he says I have, and so when you stand up and you resist the devil, he has no choice but to flee. All right? Now, let's look at our true and best example in the scripture, and that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, let's look at this. Write this down, please. Jesus never promoted himself, but neither did he deny who he was. Okay, so, you know, let's pretend like for just a moment that, that Jesus is ministering here in the 21st century. Um, you know, I'm not convinced that Jesus would have had a marketing team. Okay, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not real convinced Jesus would have had a strong presence on Facebook where he posted pictures of everything that happened at his crusades it won in Capernaum, and then, you know, when he went up to Nazareth and they wanted to throw him off the cliff, you know, Jesus did not post pictures that say, boy, I can't believe I got this kind of response in Nazareth. And then when he went over to Gadarenes and, and cast the demons out of, uh, you know, the Gadarene demoniac and had that great victory, you know, where Jesus would have put it on Facebook and said, boy, I sure moved, because he wouldn't have said the Lord moved, he would have said, I moved in that's a joke, but in gatherings, okay? In other words, I don't think you would have found Jesus promoting his own ministry. Matter of fact, there are several times in the Gospels when Jesus would minister to someone, he would heal them, and he would tell them, don't tell anybody. Now, why, why would he do that? Because Common sense, or human nature rather, would, would say this. Hey, listen, I need some big crowds. So do me a favor, go tell everybody you know of what I, like if I opened your eyes, tell everybody that you were blind and now you can see and I'm the one that did it. No, he would tell people, nope, don't tell anybody. And matter of fact, I was reading this uh, uh, the other day in the Gospels in, in uh, my Bible reading, you remember uh, there were several times when Jesus would come across somebody that was demon-possessed and the spirits would cry out and, and declare that he was the Son of God. What was his response? Do you, do you remember? He would tell them to be quiet. Can I say it in really what he was saying? Shut up. Okay, why? Because he didn't need demons advertising for him. Neither do you, right? But what I'm, my point is this, is that Jesus never promoted himself, but on the flip side of that, he never denied who he really is and was as the son of God. Matter of fact, he said this in John chapter 14, you know, really controversial statement, but he said, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice he did not say, I am a way to God. I have some truth, and I walk in a little bit of life in order to not make people mad. No, he had no qualms standing in, in the face of his disciples and saying, listen, if you want to get to the Father, the only way you're going to be able to do that is to go through me. I am the only way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Not once do you ever deny, see Jesus denying who he was. Now, what that does for him, and, and this is a model for us, is this. Jesus, one of the things that made Jesus successful in ministry and in his life was he was secure in who he is is. 
In other words, you remember I said this last week, Jesus did not have to defend himself to anybody. Okay? And I got news for you. If you begin to walk in who you are in Christ, you don't owe anybody an explanation for that. The only explanation you, you need to give people is this. God has been good to me, and he wants to be good to you if you'll receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can I get a hiccup, a cough, an amen, or something? All right. Now, so Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then later on, he said this, Father, I know that in me, I can do nothing. But through you, I can do everything. You remember he said this. He said, I don't first, I don't say anything unless I first hear the Father say it. I don't do anything unless I first see the Father do it. So he could do nothing of himself, but only what he saw his Father doing. So Jesus was not inflated with pride. He spoke the truth while giving credit to the Father. And that's a key for you and me. That's God dependence. That's humility in action. Now, I heard a story about uh, a man who uh, was awarded a prize he, at his home church. He was, you know how churches do homecoming. And so he was, everybody was called back to their home church for homecoming. And so uh, they, they had a little contest in the church where they, they said that, uh, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give an award to the person that we believe in our church is the most humble person among us. And so the church decided, and they believed that it was this one man, and so they all chose him. And so at the homecoming service, they decided to do an award presentation, and they presented this ribbon to him, and then when they gave it to him, he put it on. Well, the, half the church got offended because they were thinking if he was really humble, he would have turned it down. See, and my point is this, true humility does not exalt itself, but at the same time, you can't be proud because you are humble. Okay, so what humility does is humility doesn't debase itself. True humility really isn't about self at all. Self is what constitutes pride. So highlighting your accomplishments is pride. The need to share, get, wait, 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 wait. I don't know if you're ready for this one. The need to always share your opinion is pride. Okay, I'll talk to the folks up here, all right? And see, I, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, that's something that, that I had to deal with in my own self. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that even a fool is considered intelligent when he keeps his mouth shut, okay? And so I had to learn early on, not everybody wants to know my opinion. You know, what's the old saying? Everybody, you know, opinions are like, Belly buttons, everybody has one, but none of them are perfect, okay? You've all, all of us have an opinion, but you don't always have to express your opinion. Wanting to always share your opinion is pride. Here's another one, okay? Slandering or gossiping about someone to improve your reputation is pride. You know what, let me say it to you another way. Blowing someone else's candle out so yours shines brighter is pride. Hallelujah. Okay? Disliking and avoiding criticism is pride. Sometimes we need to be criticized. Okay, now there's bad criticism and there's good criticism, but what we have a tendency to do is throw it all out. Worrying about what other people think about you is pride. Being concerned with what everybody else thinks about you is pride. And, and, and I'm going to say this, okay? Um, 
There's something that does happen on social media that bothers me a little bit, all right? And, and, and I kind of have a love-hate relationship with social media, but, but what does bother me sometimes is when I see pastors share on their timeline, their individual personal timeline, compliments that other people have shared about them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where somebody will post, uh, you know, boy, Pastor Brad sure preached a good message today. And so because I like that post, I share it on my timeline. I, I kind of have a problem with that. Because the Bible says, again in Proverbs, that um, let praise come from someone else's mouth, not your own. Okay? So that's why, you know, when people say good things about us and about our church and all that type of thing, and particularly when it addresses me, I will not share that on my timeline, okay? Because I, I don't need to. I don't need to convince you that I'm okay. Me and God think I'm okay. Somebody said, but you're not, Pastor. Well, that's between me and God. <laughs> Hello? Okay. In other words... Uh, well, never mind. I'll just, we'll just move on. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, here we go. Write this down, please. True humility is saying about yourself what God says about you. True humility agrees with God. False humility is when we say, oh, I could never declare myself as right in God's eyes. I could never declare myself as blessed. I could never declare myself as prosperous. No, if God has said that about you, you can agree with God. Now, don't, where we get into problems is you forget the God part, okay? No, I, again, I am only blessed because of what Jesus did. I'm only prosperous because of what Jesus did. I'm only right in God's eyes because of what Jesus did. Okay, so all of those things that we declare in agreement with God is not pride. That is really true biblical humility. Are you listening to me? Okay, all right. Now, write this down. Humility knows that every good thing in my life, is a result of the grace of God. Every good thing that is in my life that I experience that has become a part of my life is a result of the grace of God. Listen, I am smart enough to know that any good thing found in me is because of the grace of God. Now, I'm not going to deny that trying to be humble. Now, I don't have anything to brag on because I didn't do it. Jesus did it. Okay, so without the grace of God, without his supernatural ability and empowerment, truly, we can do nothing. James chapter 15 says that. Without Christ, you are nothing and can do nothing. But the grace of God gave us his ability and who we are in him. Amen. Say this. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you got a problem. Again, if you stand up and you say, I can do anything I want to. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's because of his grace and his goodness and his mercy. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about something that we addressed in the first part of this series, and that is this, the difference between a spirit of excellence and a spirit of perfectionism. Okay, because a lot of people confuse the two. You know, we need to operate in excellence in our church. And what that really means is, I expect everything to be done in perfection. 
And that's impossible. That's unrealistic. See, excellence is when we operate according to God's standards. Perfection is something that is unattainable. Let me give you this, this definition again. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, but I want you to get this. Perfectionism is this. It's a tendency to set extremely high standards and to be dissatisfied with anything less. So I set standards as a leader that are so high that the normal person doesn't have a prayer of being able to reach that. And then what happens is perfection, because perfection is proud and arrogant, I began to look down on people that are not able to do it the way that I think it needs to be done into the standard that, it, it, that I think it needs to be done. Okay? So the correct position, the correct mindset is this. God gives us a vision, gives me a vision as the pastor of the church of what he wants to accomplish. Now, I might have thoughts on what is a good way to accomplish that, but here's where, um, where my faith is. I believe in God to send people to our church that are talented and gifted and able to accomplish the vision and my responsibility is not necessarily to make you do it the way I would do it, but if the results are the same and equal what God wants us to do, I don't care how it gets done. Do you understand that? Whereas, and I've been involved in ministry like this, where, you know, you're trying to do what the, the leader says and establishes, but it doesn't matter how hard you work, how hard you try, it is never good enough. Okay, and that's not godly. That is pride and that is arrogance. Listen, the best thing I can do is find somebody that God has gifted and anointed to do what he's called you to do and then as long as what you want to do and accomplish is in line with the vision that God has put within my heart, go for it. Now, I'll kind of put some guardrails up you know, kind of, you know, keep, keep things from getting off course. But humility is where I'm willing to acknowledge that there might be somebody smarter than me in the room. Hello? Okay. Being willing to acknowledge that maybe in this area, I might not be the expert that I think I am. And be willing to acknowledge that somebody else could be. Am I helping anybody? Okay. Write this down, please. Well, let me finish this definition. Perfection is, perfectionism is proud and arrogant. It is critical and judgmental of people, ideas, and work that doesn't meet its standards. And this is what causes the person who tries to function in perfectionism to be associated with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health problems. In other words, you, order, you open yourself up to a world of hurt when you try and function in perfectionism, okay? God doesn't expect you to function in perfectionism. God does expect us to operate in excellence, to do the best we can with the resources that he's entrusted to us. That's excellence. Okay, so here we go. Write this down. Excellence still has high standards, but it recognizes the roles that others, especially God, play in meeting those standards. Okay, so again, God gives me a standard based on what the vision is, and then I'm willing to recognize the role that other people can play in having that come to pass and causing that to come to pass. Now, true humility doesn't deny what God has done or is doing. True humility just denies that self had anything to do with it. See, here's the problem with perfectionism. Perfectionism wants to establish the standard tell you how to, how to accomplish whatever it is that is, 
so that I can step back and say, I told them how to do that. Okay? That's pride. And sad to say, there's a whole lot of churches that operate that way. Amen? We don't. All right? Now, I can tell this is just thrilling, y'all. <laughs> don't worry. We're going to wind it up on an up note. Here we go. So what is it that always follows and goes hand in hand with the spirit of excellence? What follows a spirit of excellence? We established that at the beginning. What always comes as a result of a spirit of excellence? Anybody guess? Say it. Promotion. Promotion. Everybody that we see in the scripture that operated in a spirit of excellence always got promoted. Well, I can prove it to you from the word that when you operate in the cousin to a spirit of excellence, which is a spirit of humility, promotion will always come as a result of that. So write this down. Promotion will always follow true humility. Always. Always, always, always. Say always. always. Say this. Say promotion, promotion. always follows True humility. Now, Jesus said this. He said, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I've got one, two, three, four witnesses. Help me preach, sweetie. I've got four witnesses for you to establish this. All right, let's, let's go. Let's look at these verses as we begin to wind this down. Here we go. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. So if you want honor, then humility has to be present. Now, just so you're wondering, all right, I looked up in the Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, what is the Hebrew word for honor? I'm so glad you asked because I want to show you. Here we go. Look at this. Honor in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word kabod. Now, we often hear that word in the Hebrew. For those of you who have been around church for a while, you might have heard that where it was referring to the weightiness of God and the glory of God. Matter of fact, there's a phrase in the Old Testament when the, the, the Israelis began to get involved in sin and idolatry, the glory departed and God used a word called ikabod meaning the glory has departed. So the, the Hebrew word for honor is the, is the word kabod, and it means this, honor, glory, majesty, and wealth. I'm so glad I didn't write the Bible because nobody can say I, can ma I made this up. So knowing this, let's go back and let's look at this verse again. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor, glory, majesty, and wealth is humility. So what that tells me is, if I step over into humility, then honor, glory, majesty, and wealth will follow. Oh, pastor, I don't know about that. Well, just in case you're not convinced, let's look at another one. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility, before wealth, glory, honor, and majesty is humility. Now, that's a fancy way of saying promotion, okay? So, anybody in here like promotion? Okay, let me check again. Some of you didn't answer. Is there anybody here that likes promotion? Okay, let me ask it this way. Would anybody in the room like God to promote you? Okay, then humility is the doorway into that. Okay, so in case you're not convinced, let's look at another one. Proverbs 22, verse 4 in the New Living Translation. True humility and fear of the Lord. Now, see, some of you are going to get upset when I use this, this word. Lead to, what's that word? Huh? Say it. Say it like you mean it. Okay. 
True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Now, here's what this says in the Hebrew. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, glory, honor, majesty, wealth, and long life. Now, here's my prayer. That maybe on the way home, these three verses dawn on you, that if I will humble myself and fear or have a reverential respect for God, then honor, wealth, glory, majesty, and riches are on the way. All right, well, in case you're not convinced, I got one more for you, except this one's in the New Testament. All right, so let's look at this. First Peter Chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. So Peter writing, he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and clothed with what? Huh? So in other words, you can put on humility like clothes. You can put it on you and wear it. Okay, so yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We read this verse earlier. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may, what? Exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Okay, now, let me unravel some of this for you. So God resists the proud. We already talked about that, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you can exalt yourself. Where does the exalting come from? God, okay? So that he may exalt you in due time. Now, notice, and I think it's very interesting. Now, listen, we... Jesus taught us about worry. And so we use this verse a lot of times when talking about worry, and rightfully so, in a general sense. But here's where I believe Peter is really using this in context is the sense of you and me trying to figure out when, how, and why God is going to promote me. And we get consumed with that, and we worry about that. So what Peter is telling us is, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, which is the power of God, that he may exalt you. Now, I'm going to skip over and give you the definition. I think it's on your notes there. But the Greek word for exalt means this, generally to raise to a condition of prosperity, dignity, and honor. Just like kabod in the Hebrew all right, so now that you have that definition, look at what it says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may raise you to a condition of prosperity, dignity, and honor in due time. And here's what he's saying. And don't worry about it. Let God do it. So I'm going to ask you again, is there anybody in the room that would like for God to honor you, glory, glorify you, bring some majesty your way, and maybe a little riches and wealth? Thank you for those two people. Is there anybody else in the room that would like to be raised to a condition of prosperity, dignity, and honor? Let me, let me sweeten the deal. By God's hand, then humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And the promise is this. He will. Not he might. He kind of, sort of. He will exalt you in due time. Man, I love that. The promise of God is that he will promote you. So listen, I don't have to worry about when God 
is going to do what he wants to do. My job is to just humble myself and leave the rest to him. But, but, but still know it's coming. It's coming. Somewhere, somehow, sometime, it's coming. Say this, it's on the way. I humble myself right now under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt me. He will raise me up to a condition of prosperity, dignity, and honor if I humble myself. Amen. That's where humility comes in with a spirit of excellence. Did you get anything out of this today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard. Lord, I thank you for the truths of your word and the promises that are in your word. And Father, we today as a group of believers, we make the decision that we're going to humble ourselves. We're not going to put ourselves in a position where you have to resist us because of pride. Father, we're going to cooperate with you. We're going to go with your flow. And we're going to humble ourselves, declare and say that you are our God and we are dependent on you, that without you we can do nothing, that we are nothing, but in Christ we are everything and we can do all things through him that strengthens us. So Father, we're not self-sufficient. We're God-dependent. We are dependent upon you. And so Father, I thank you, Lord, as we do that today and we humble ourselves before you, it's just a matter of time before promotion comes. It's on the way, Lord. And we just look forward with anticipation and thank you for it in advance, in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm excited for the promotion that's coming to these precious people. I thank you, Lord, that you're in the process behind the scenes of exalting some of them right now, that you're elevating them to a position that is unique to your hand and what you are able to do and that none of us will be able to declare that we did it ourselves. The only thing we'll be able to say is, but God did it. But God did it. And so, Lord, I declare that and believe that for each and every person under the sound of my voice today. Father, I thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. And, Lord, I thank you that his blood made the way for this to be even possible in our lives. And we're so grateful for that. Father, I praise you for the sacrifice that was made for us to bring us to a place where we are your children, that we stand before you clean and holy because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, I just ask you, Lord, right now to move in each and every heart, in each and every life. Show yourself strong on our behalf. And Father, our eyes are upon you. We may not always know what to do and how to do something, but our eyes are upon you. Our dependency is on you, Lord. And so, Father, I thank you right now. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice, Father, that, that needs to put their dependence on you, to look to you, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you lead and guide them to do that right now by the precious Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I thank you for doing it. If you're here in this room and you need to give your heart to Christ for the first time, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord and recommit, your life to the Lord and simply lay yourself down and put him on the throne of your life. I want to invite you to do that today. If you're here and you need to make that decision and do that right now, just say this simple prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today and I believe with all my heart that you died for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Wash me in your blood. Make me clean and holy. Now fill me to the full and overflowing 
with the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm clean. Thank you for a brand new start. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.